0: All right, well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday night prayer and devotional service here at Lakeview Baptist Church. I- I'm so encouraged to see everyone able, to, um, taking the initiative to come out here and join us for our, our midweek service. It- it's really an encouragement to me, and-, and I know it's a pastor as well. Uh, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter six. Now, the book of Romans is one of the most notable books in the entire Bible. Uh, The reformer Martin Luther once remarked that if every book in the Bible were lost, save the Gospel of John and the book of Romans, that theoretically Christianity could still be saved. Now, the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans lay out more descriptively than, than almost anywhere else in the New Testament, the message of salvation. In the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to explain the the sobering truth that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that because that is the case, that the whole world may be held accountable to God. And what Paul says is that every mouth may be stopped, that there is no excuse, there is no rationalizing or reasoning your way out of the fact that because you have broken the law and sinned, therefore, under that, you will not be justified in the sight of God, that that, that you are under judgment. Now, this picture that Paul paints of universal sinfulness is sweeping and devastating. Now, if you truly internalize that word in your heart, recognizing God's holiness and recognizing your sinfulness, You will realize immediately what a desperate state that you're in. That all of us who are Christians once were in, we were in this state and we should never forget it. But then we get this statement in Romans chapter 3, verse 22 the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus is for all who believe. And all who believe, Though they have sinned, they have been justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And then what Paul goes on to explain from the end of chapter 3 to chapter 5 is that although all men have sinned, we can find sweet peace and reconciliation with God through Christ Jesus. Total rest, total bliss, total assurance, Total Shalom. Now Paul's letter to the Romans is very well thought out. and it is a very carefully crafted document. And all throughout when he is explaining these great truths he knows will be controversial, what he will do is he will anticipate the objections people will have, and he'll go and answer them right there in the text. And this is what we see at the beginning of chapter 6. The idea is, if it is true, all right, if this is an actual fact that we find total justification, peace, and assurance through faith, then someone may say, well, why not keep on sinning? I myself have heard that objection before when when explaining the gospel. And, And and Paul realizes that people are going to raise this objection, which, side note, by the way, proves that this doctrine is true. It means that if you are understanding what he is saying in the book of Romans properly and correctly, a, a correct understanding of his theology will lead people to raise this particular objection. Just uh, something to think about. And, and so, with that being said, now what I want to do is, is focus your attention. Just a small section here in Romans chapter 6. I want you to look at verses 11 through 14. We read from the pen of the Apostle Paul, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, this section, which I have just read from, is is really the very first command in the entire book of Romans. Now, up to this point, it has been doctrine, doctrine, doctrine doctrine, which is a very good thing. But doctrine, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, is always to be applied. It is never to be considered as an end in and of itself. So what Paul is saying at this stage in his letter is, is he's saying, look, if it is true, if it is true that God has shown his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and we have been justified by His blood, and we have been spared from God's wrath. If, if, if all of this is true, if this is true and it is true specifically of your life, if this applies to you, then this is how you ought to live. The, uh, you must, and we read in Romans 6.11, you, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If it is true that we are united with Christ in a death like His, then it will necessarily follow that as He was raised from the dead, we will be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And what He is saying is that Christ, having been risen from the dead, shows that death no longer has dominion over Him, but that He lives for God. And so just as Christ died to sin and lives presently for God, we must also ourselves consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is going to be admonishing us about is our ever raging battle against sin. Because if we are going to say that we have been saved from our sin, well, that makes sin our enemy. And if sin is our enemy, then we must not love it. We must not relish in it. We must not practice it. We must wage war against our sin. And so the Apostle Paul, ever so loving a fellow, is going to give us some practical wisdom that we can apply to our own lives as we fight this fight against sin, which every Christian universally, without exception, is engaged in. And so here in the first place, the Apostle addresses our hearts. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We must have an attitude about ourselves that says, I am dead to sin. I am dead to sin. Sin is no longer what I live for, but I have been made alive in Christ Jesus. That's where it all starts. That's where this whole thing begins. The word consider, as it is used here, means to fully affirm or have a confidence in some particular truth. And the truth that we are to fully embrace as Christians is that through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. This is the commitment one must make. This is the stance that you must take. You need, you need to look at your heart Look at your life and consider yourself dead to sin. Now this sounds so difficult. This sounds so hard and tough to do. That is until you remember the context of the passage. And here's why context is so important. There is a very futile New Age practice that is popular where people speak affirmations, these and I use these words intentionally, these poor, miserable people will literally stand in front of a mirror and repeat mantras like, I am happy, I am wealthy, I am fulfilled, or my favorite, I am enough, over and over again, believing that saying it will make it so. And so you might think that that is what Paul is telling you to do here, that he is instructing you to just sort of just repeat over and over again, I am dead to sin, I am dead to sin, and I am alive to God. And that if you just, just really just try and focus on that, then it might actually become true, that you might actually accomplish this state and you might start seeing some victory over sin. But that's not the case. Look at the context. Paul just got done explaining to you justification by faith, that by means of your faith in Christ Jesus, you have already died to sin. And so this is really good news. What Paul is saying, he's saying that right now, where you sit, as you hear my voice, if you are a Christian, you are, present tense, dead to sin. To to know that this is true, You need to simply look at your Bible. You need to simply look at the Word of God because it says that it's true. That's where this is coming from. It's not coming from uh, anything that you do. It's not coming from what you speak in your own heart. It's coming from what God has put into His Word. Your responsibility is to recognize that, to know that truth and believe that truth. So the first commandment, in the entire book of Romans, the first time in this entire book that we are actually being told to do something is when we are told to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The rest of this instruction from Paul we are going to be going through today flows from this. What we are told to do in verses 12 and 13 will be literally impossible. If we glance past the truth told in verse 11, the truth that we have been given sweet peace with God through faith in Christ Jesus, and thus we have died with him, united with him in his death, we are dead to sin. That that truth, that doctrine, that theology must be settled down deeply within all of our hearts. Verse 12, he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Now, I've already referenced the fact that the Christian is engaged in spiritual warfare against their sin, because this is the thing. It is true. It is true that we are dead to sin. That is an undeniable fact. But it is equally true that while we are on this earth in these unglorified bodies, that we still sin. But because of the fact that we are dead to sin, what this means is that although we still sin, our relationship with sin has fundamentally changed. And so how are we to deal with the reality of sin as ones who have died to sin? Well, what it says is we must not let it reign in our mortal bodies to make us obey its passions. Now let's be very clear about what verse 12 says. It does not say, let therefore sin reign in you, but rather it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Now this is a very important distinction. This is very important for understanding the topic of the present discussion. Why are Paul's words here addressed not to ourselves, but to specifically our bodies? not not to our bodies and not to our persons not to our souls because sin can't reign in us that is it cannot reign in our nature so to speak for we have died to sin that is literally true our nature our inclination our wills our desires have changed We are dead to sin and alive to God. Remember, that is what he has been telling you from verses 1 through 11. We are born again. We are new men. We are new women. And the desire to sin does not come from this new nature. It does not come from our new selves, our new natures, our regenerated hearts. But rather, the desire to sin specifically comes from our mortal bodies our flesh, our skin, our bones, and even our minds. For though our nature has changed, our minds are still connected to our flesh from which temptation to sin arises. And if you let that desire to sin fester in your body, it will enter your mind and you will act upon it. And you will have sinned against God. You will have sinned against holy God who loves you who died for you, you will be contradicting every Christian truth that you stand for. It is not a good thing to speak very lightly. But Paul here, in his love for the saints, wishes to help us, wishes to assist us along life's long and rocky road. He tells us this not to discourage us but to encourage us, to help us. He knows that it is not best for us to let sin reign in our mortal bodies, to make us obey its passions, because he knows that once desire to sin grows and runs wild in our flesh, we will obey it. But there really is great wisdom in knowing and understanding that desire towards sin does not come from the Spirit, but that it does come from the flesh. Because knowing where it is our enemy attacks us from, we will, be, we will better be able to defend against it. So we must recognize that temptations to sin come from our flesh. Therefore, we must not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. For when it does, we will obey its passions. Now immediately, we must recognize that as long as we are in this life, sin will always be present in our bodies. That that, that is just the reality. So when Paul says this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, he means to recognize that sin is no longer your master. Okay, Your body does not have to be ruled by it. If, If you're a Christian, you've been born again and dwelt with the Spirit of God. Sin is not the only force that needs to have an influence on your flesh. And so because of this, Paul is going to give us some practical wisdom in our fight against sin. We look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 13 can essentially be broken up into two parts. In the first place, we have a negative, don't do this. And in the second, we have a positive, do this. We read, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now notice how Paul personifies sin. Do not present your members to sin. Now we usually think of sin as as a verb, as something we do, as, as an action. But here, sin is viewed really as a noun, as a thing, as a Force of its own that is outside of our control. This force that we call sin, we are told not to present our members to it. Now, what are members? Well, members are any kind of part of the body, any aspect of your flesh, your minds, your, your eyes, your hands, your feet, your your, uh, your skin, and, and, and all of that. All of these things can be used for sin. And so we must not present these things, our members, to the powerful force that is called sin in order for them to be used as instruments for unrighteousness. This is why I stress the importance of recognizing that sinful desire comes from the mortal body. For it is when our bodies are presented with temptation to sin that the desire to sin rises up inside of us and enters our mind and we begin to act. On those desires. So it is very important in the fight against sin, not to put our bodies in a position where they will be vulnerable towards sin. For sin is not a plaything. As we have described, it is a powerful force. When sin gets its claws on you, it is hard to escape. When desire to do evil stirs up inside of you, it is difficult to fight that desire. Now, given the fact that sinful desire comes from our bodies and we can never escape our bodies as long as we are in this life on earth, we, we, we are still going to have these desires no matter what. They are going to arise. They are going to come upon us and, and influence us. And so, therefore, it is perfectly appropriate to speak of killing sin killing its desire, resisting the devil. It is a necessary thing to fight off sinful desires when they do indeed come and to put them to death. But what Paul tells us here is very instructive and is very practical as well. He says not to present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Do not put yourself in a position where you know that you will be tempted and will be vulnerable to sin. Do not let yourself sin. Make no provision for the flesh. Do not do everything in your power to limit the potentiality that a temptation towards sin will arise and you will act upon it. Do not let yourself sin, but rather present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, whereas we were told not to present our members to sin, and we have earlier made a distinction between our mortal bodies and our persons, we are in this place told not only to present our members to God, but also to present ourselves to God. Now, why are we told this? Why does Paul make this distinction here? Why are we told to present ourselves to God but not told to present oursel- not, told to not prevent, to present ourselves to sin. It is because we can't present ourselves to sin if we are Christians. And what do I mean by that? Well, we can still present our members to sin, our flesh to sin, to sin but we literally cannot present ourselves to sin because once again, we have died to sin. And I believe that that is true. And though sin may arise in our bodies, it will not arise in our new nature, okay, in our new hearts. And so while sin has no reign over our new nature and our new hearts, God does. And so we can and we are positively told to present ourselves and our members too. We're not neglecting that, but we are literally told in Scripture to present our whole body. Beings, Everything that makes us what we are to God for His service. To have our members used as instruments for righteousness. This, This is a great and glorious and wonderful thing. To serve God. To bring Him glory. To honor Him in all that we do. We hand over our hearts our minds, our eyes, our hands, our feet, and all of our flesh and all of our skin and our bones and all that we are, our whole entire souls, everything that we consist of, we present it all over to God and we plead, dear, precious, and holy God, here I am. I want to bring glory to your holy name. Use me in your kingdom. Use me in your service. Because the thing is, not only are we literally dead to sin, But we are also alive to God. And that says, alive. We have been made alive. We have been set free from sin. We have been born again and walk in newness of life. We are alive. This is to radiate vibrance and energy and passion. For God has not called us to merely abstain from sin, but literally to live for Him. What a privilege is it, my brothers and sisters? That God has so chosen to redeem us that we might serve the holy creator of the universe. This is a wonderful thing. This is what we are to do instead of sin. Instead of letting sin take a hold of us and putting our, our bodies in a position to be used for unrighteousness, to be used for evil, We give ourselves, not just our bodies, we give our bodies too, but we give all of who we are. We give our emotions, we give our passions, we give our desires, our hearts, our affections, our everything. We give it to God and say, Soli Deo Gloria, Father, let me live for you. This is what we are to do instead of sin. And so not only is this a good thing, but what I am saying right now, this truth in and of itself will help us fight against sin. Just as an illustration, we all know the wisdom not to uh, go grocery shopping on an empty stomach because when you do that, you're just going to end up buying all kinds of junk food that you don't need. But what you want to do is you want to go shopping when you're satisfied. So that instead of being ravished with desires for food and letting your body and your stomach control you, you can be sober-minded and you're able to make wise choices. Well, this concept can be applied to spiritual warfare as well. Because when you're close to God, when you are sober-minded, when you draw near to Him, you will be able to make wise decisions now in that state of mind to keep your flesh from being tempted in the future that you otherwise would not be wise enough to make when the moment of temptation arises. You see, it's it's almost like not every hour of the day is we are as strong as another hour. And so we have to be very, very wise in how we use the time that God has given us. If you're in a state of mind where you are sober, you're thinking clearly, you will if if you want to honor God, you will make decisions in that state of mind that will prevent you from being vulnerable. Dear Christian, you have died to sin and you have been made alive to God. Do not make any provision for the flesh. Do not give yourself over to sin, but by the grace of God, strive to present yourself over to Him, to be used by Him, to serve Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him. We read in verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now now this right here, this is the ultimate driving force in our battle against sin. Because what I've been trying to stress all throughout tonight's message is that Christians have all already died to sin and have been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because without this understanding, we will be utterly unable to have victory over sin. It would be literally useless to tell an unregenerate natural man to fight his sin because he would be fighting in his own power. He is literally incapable of doing so. And I speak for myself. I know that in my own power and in my own strength, I would not be able to fight sin. I would not be able to fight this battle in my own power. But where I put my trust and my faith in and what gives me hope and what gives me encouragement is that I have been given new life from above. I have been born again, and the Spirit of God abides within me. This is true, and this is true of every single Christian. And so what it means is, if you are a Christian, God is with you. Okay, God is alongside of you as you fight against sin. And what verse 14 says is truly so glorious, we have just been told to consider ourselves dead to sin, to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, not to present our members over to sin, but to instead give over our whole beings, all that we are, to God for service. And this is all good stuff. But again, if we were fighting this battle in our own power, it would be impossible. And so here the Apostle Paul lovingly encourages us telling us that we can do all these things. You can actually accomplish what it is I'm admonishing you towards because sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin is no longer our master. We are no longer enslaved to it. Our wills, our inclinations, our desires are no longer captive to sin. And this is due to the fact that we are no longer under law, but under grace. Now, what does this statement mean in in the brief amount of time that I I have tonight? Well, remember all the way back to the beginning of tonight's message, which really all the way back to the beginning of the book of Romans, when Paul explains that all men have sinned and all men have broken God's law. And what does he say in Romans chapter 3? He says, Because all men have broken the law, in verse 20, no one can be justified by the law, for you can't be justified to a standard that you yourself have broken. That's that's the argument that's being made there. But Paul gives assurance here, reminding us that we are not under the law, which can only show us our sin and condemn us and make us realize that we are in this desperate state of need. But rather than being under law, we are under grace. Now, grace here means not only that we have been justified by our faith in Christ Jesus, that we have been made right in God's sight, and therefore we are free from condemnation, but what's also being implied here is that God, the Holy Spirit, is presently working in us, giving us the grace that we need to fight sin. So not only do we not need to be discouraged every time we sin thinking that we have lost our salvation or lost our standing before God because if we are discouraged, discouragement can oftentimes just lead us to sin more. It can become an excuse. Well, I, I, I had no choice. I had to turn to this vice or turn to this pleasure because I, I just wasn't feeling good. And, and that's what discouragement can do. But what Paul is trying to remind us is he's saying, no, no, don't, don't be discouraged. You're not, you're not under the law. Okay, you are under grace. All right, God has redeemed you. God has given you new life and he will give you the power to overcome this battle that you are fighting. God is presently working within us to accomplish these things. Now, I've I've taken up enough of our time tonight uh, as we reflect on sin together. And so as one last bit of encouragement, I will leave you with some more words from Paul to help you on your Christian walk, he says in Philippians chapter two, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he gives you this promise. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, thank you for your attention tonight. And my brother Bill here will close this in prayer.